today comes from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in, in, the name, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. May God add a blessing for the reading, hearing, and understanding of God's word and you see. Some popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners and little eyes and, and, and she glues them 
on this fork, and she hugs him, it, the, the fork, and names it Forky, and puts it in her backpack with Woody. And amazingly, to Woody's shock, the fork comes alive. This, this fork uh, is somehow alive, and he begins to have an existential crisis because he doesn't know why he's alive. He, he knew that he was in a trash can, somehow he knows that, and now he doesn't know, I'm, I'm here, but who am I? And why am I here? And so it's the beginning of this existential crisis for a sport. When you're watching a movie and you find yourself identifying with a sport, that is a good movie, ladies and gentlemen. When, you know, I'm watching, I'm thinking, I can identify with a plastic eating utensil right now. This is a great story. And so Forky uh, goes home with Woody and, and Bonnie's backpack. And uh, Woody realizes now that as Bonnie starts kindergarten, Forky is the most important toy to her. Perhaps the most important thing in her life right now. And so Woody's job now, as he sees it, is to make sure that Forky is around. That Bonnie can rely on Forky for Forky's friendship. And so his, Woody's new purpose is to help Forky realize he's a toy who was loved by Bonnie and fulfill his purpose of being there for Bonnie. So let's watch Woody introduce Forky to the rest of the toys. Woody's purpose of making sure that Forky is there for Bonnie is difficult because Forky keeps wanting to return to the trash can. Forky believes he's trash. He doesn't realize that his identity has changed. He doesn't realize he's a toy. And, and the purpose that he has of being there for Bonnie, he believes he's trash and he keeps wanting to return to the trash can. He doesn't realize who he is now. He still thinks he's trash. This reminds me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, there's a scripture where God has created Adam and Eve. And we did a series on Genesis a few months ago. If you have questions about the Bible and science, that's a whole other topic there. But in Genesis 3, 19, God tells Adam that he is dust. And he says, you are dust, and to dust you will return. And it's a way of saying you're immortal. That this physical life does not last forever, but we are made of the same materials as everything else. The, you know, the same materials and, and trees and the stars, and we're made of those same elements. And actually, the word Adam is a play on the Hebrew word for dust or dirt. It's Adamah. So in Hebrew, dirt is Adamah. So Adam's name that God gives him is something like Dusty or like Dirt Man. Or something like that. And, and so Adam comes from Adamah. And to Adamah you will return. And so there is this truth for all of us that we come from the elements of the earth that do get thrown away. That don't get thought about. But at the same time, Adam and Eve and you and I. Because Adam and Eve are really mirrors to us. They're not necessarily science books. They're mirrors. And by looking at them we see ourselves. We are made of dust. And yet we are somehow more than dust. We are more than uh, the elements that we are made of. And so, like God breathes life into Adam and Eve, Bonnie somehow gives life to Forky. And he came from the trash, but now some, he's something totally different now. He's more than that. Now, she's the creator of him. And he finds himself a living being and doesn't know what to do with that. He's launched into this existential crisis, and so he repeatedly tries to throw himself away. And the uh, exciting incident for the rest of the movie is when he throws himself out the RV window. And he says, I'm litter, and he jumps out, he's like, free! And he, and he 
flies out the window to be tossed on the side of the road, like literally because that gives him comfort. Somehow going back to the trash can gives Forky comfort. And so uh, after Forky throws himself out that RV window, Woody jumps out after him because his new purpose is making sure that Forky is there for Bonnie. And let's watch this little one-minute talk that Woody has with Forky about why he's alive. Forky's slow to catch on about his purpose in life, and he keeps wanting to return to the trash. Uh, Forky's story is the human story. If you, if you found yourself identifying with the sport, you know, I'm right there with you. Because uh, all of us, to some degree, ask the same kinds of questions that Forky is faced with. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Even if you don't think about it in those terms, even if you don't think you spend a lot of time thinking about those questions, the truth is we do. Because they're, they're behind there, there are questions in the background every day of our lives. And we are somehow compelled to live into our purpose, into our calling. We just have this voice, you know, I want to do this, and this would bring happiness, and this is, this is how I can do good things in the world, and this is my value, and loving the people around me, and using my gifts and skills, and we're pulled towards that. And yet, at the same time, we are also pulled in another direction. We're pulled toward the trash can. Whatever that looks like in our lives, all of us live pulled between those two things, our calling, our purpose, like Forky, and then the trash can, whatever that means to us. For some people, it's easy to see the trash can. For some people, it's like addiction. And, and the anxiety of life is just a constant struggle. And, and they, they want to return to the trash can of addiction. And addiction works like pick your poison. It doesn't have to be the common things that people think of. It can be anything. But we run back to the trash can because of the anxiety of life. And we feel anxiety as we struggle to fill our purposes. So we keep running back towards the trash. And an amazing event, like a good, a good news story happened in my life this week. A buddy of mine and I talked and, and uh, he has had a, really a drinking problem. For, for 20 years, and we all knew that, and, and um, he has never really acknowledged that. And just this week on the phone, for the first time, he actually said the word alcoholic, which is a, a super uh, huge deal in his life and, and for people who care about him. That now there's he's not he's not just running into the trash can anymore. Now he's, he realizes now, this is my tendency to run to the trash can, but now something else is calling me. There's something better for me. And we all live between that purpose and that pull back to the trash can. I don't know what it might be for you. It could be the pull of materialism in this area. There are a lot of people for whom the trash can actually looks really good on the outside. It's just finding your status, your value, and, and stuff. We all know that's the case. It's cliche. It's all still totally true. Life in the Southeast Valley is very materialistic. It's about getting a promotion. It's about getting paid more. It's about getting bigger houses, more grand countertops, more stainless steel appliances, more luxury cars, and just moving on up. That's, that's, the, that's the trash can for lots of people in the Southeast Valley. And here's why it's the trash can, because even though those things look like success, and if you get the promotion, great, congratulations. It's just that it becomes the trash can when it actually gets in the way of us fulfilling our burdens and learning who we really are and why we're really here. And it's not just to get more stuff. 
If you, if you got more stuff because you're good at it and you make a lot of money, I hope you give to all kinds of things. I hope you're generous. That doesn't make you evil that you, that you do well in life. But when those things eclipse your, eclipse your purpose, your calling, now it's the trash can. And so maybe it's the trash can of materialism. Maybe it's the trash can of workaholism, which has been one of the primary struggles of my life. And somehow, as I feel compelled to move in the direction of my calling, somehow there's this anxiety, well, I just have to work all the time. And I even, here's how it works for me, I even justify it because why I have to work all the time to fulfill my calling. And it means that things that are very important, the most important things in my life, the people I love, can be put on the back burner as I return to the trash can of workaholism. And so for me, part of my journey is living towards my purpose, my calling, instead of going to the trash can of workaholism, or, or maybe, you know, it's, you know, thinking your accomplishments give you value, or your image, maybe you're a super image-conscious person. And by the way, people who are image-conscious are the last people to admit you're image-conscious. So if you're like, oh, there's no way I'm image-conscious, congratulations, you're probably image-conscious. We don't, we, don't, we don't want to admit that to ourselves, because we put up a, a front, even in our own mind. We, we buy our own image. And so maybe for you, returning to the trash can is just image management. You want everybody to think you're cool and perfect, everything's great, and you're successful, you have no problems, everything's awesome. And that's the trash can for you. So we all live cold between our, our purpose, like Forky, and the trash can. Right. Woody's new purpose is helping Forky see his purpose. But Woody also has a life and friends and so he has this calling, this purpose that he wants to fulfill, but then there's also this part of himself that has been ignored. He's been a giver, and he's, he's given of himself. He's sacrificed in all the movies. He's, 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 he's been a good guy, for the most part, except for part one when he, he, he hurt bugs, right? But like, for the most part, when he's done a great job in life. But now there's this hole in his own life. And so on the way to get to the, to the RV camp and the carnival where Bonnie's vacation, or her parents are vacationing, he passes this antique store. And when he looks up in the, the window of the antique store, he sees a lamp that used to be connected to his friend Bo. Bo Peep was given away by Andy's sister Molly, if you remember, years ago. And he hasn't seen Bo since, and, and he misses her, and so he stops. And he makes his way to the antique store. And while they're in the antique store, they encounter the villain of the film. Each of the Toy Story movies has a villain, of course. And Owl's Toy Barn, and Lotso, Lotso Hugging Bear, and, and now the villain in Toy Story 4 is a little doll named Gabby Gabby. And Gabby Gabby was defective. And she came apparently out of the, out of the factory defective. She has a broken voice box. Now, of course, all the toys can talk to each other, but as far as her functioning as a toy in the eyes of a child, her voice box is broken. And she doesn't have a voice. And she realizes that Woody has a string on the back, and, and that's connected to a voice box. And so she knows that Woody has a voice box, that he has something that she wants. And so it doesn't take very long to realize that, you know, Gabby Gabby has ulterior motives to welcoming Woody and Forky into the store. This, this discarded, unloved toy now has ulterior motives. And let's watch um, Woody and Forky and Gabby Gabby. So Gabby, have, Gabby has a plan. And uh, these terrifying ventriloquist dummies are her henchmen. And they, they hold Woody and Forky hostage. 
until um, Woody escapes. And so he knows he has to get out. He escapes from the store because he realizes what's happening. Gabby Gabby tells him that she'll let him go if he'll give her his voice box. And, and so she, you can have insight into the villain as well. She's somebody who feels unwanted, unloved, and, um, she, and she wants this voice box. So Woody escapes, but he leaves Forky behind in the antique store. And at this carnival, uh, where Bonnie and her parents are on vacation, Woody is reunited with Bo. She, Bo has been, she escaped the, uh, the antique store after she was you know, sent away by Molly. And Bo is a survivor. Bo has a, a broken arm. And she has had to put her life together. She has a few little toys that she leads, and they travel around in a, in a remote control car the size of skunk, so people will leave them alone. They're, they're streetwise now. Bo, Bo has street smarts. And she's somebody who has faced difficulty in life. She's a woman who has had to face lots of barriers in her life. She's had to overcome pain. She, she doesn't have a partner. She, she's single. Um, she's alone in a sense, except that she's created a community with these other toys. And through happenstance, Woody runs into his old friend Bo at this carnival, and they devise a plan to break Forky out of the antique store. And part of the plan, because Bo was there before, was to involve uh, the Canadian motorcycle stuntman, Duke Kaboom. And, and the plan now is going to involve Duke making this amazing jump to get the keys and to get Forky out of his cabinet high up where he's been, uh, he's being held hostage. And so they, they meet Duke Kaboom, and it's even better that he's voiced by Keanu Reeves. That just makes it for me. So let's watch uh, their, their meeting of uh, Duke Kaboom. Part of the plan is Duke's going to make this, this amazing jump. And then as Duke goes down the ramp, he has a flashback of the boy who threw him out. His name was Rijon, he's French Canadian. And he has a, a picture of uh, Rijon's face, and he just can't make the jump. And the plan is spoiled. And, and Duke explains that he was tossed out by Rijal because when Rijal opened Duke out of the package, he realized he couldn't jump 40 feet like the commercial. He just throws Duke down. And so Duke was discarded as well. And so you see, let's count the characters now. Forky, Bo, Gabby Gabby, and even Woody are all throwaways, or they think they're throwaways. Woody is ignored and he's grown up, and Bonnie doesn't really play with him anymore. Um, Forky thinks he's trash, so in his own mind, he's worthless, even though he's really loved and doesn't realize it. Bo, Gabby Gabby, and Duke were actually thrown out, discarded. Have you seen the theme, now here and in the past two movies, three out of the four movies that we've looked at in the series, a prominent theme was feeling discarded, feeling the pain of rejection, of being hurt, of not being wanted, of being viewed as unworthy. And then the quest has been to discover their own worthiness. And I, I wonder, and to be honest with you, I didn't plan that. Like I just picked movies that I thought had a good message and I, I wish I could take credit for that, but I didn't go in that deep. I wonder if that's just kind of the theme of our time. That in the world we live in, with the way that you know, modern technology has, has connected us, perhaps in superficial ways, but we perhaps don't feel an interpersonal connection as much as people used to 
when life was primarily agrarian you know, 100 years ago. I don't know. Of course, a lot of thinkers are still writing about our condition now in our society, or the division in society, believing that you know half half of the people in our society are wrong. I'm right. That half is wrong. Of course, they think I'm wrong. They think they're right. And there's this alienation. There's, there's a loneliness. There's a, there's a feeling of being discarded. And you add to that just the stuff of life throughout all of human existence. You know, love that is not returned. Or relationships that end. And, and rejection or, or parents that maybe they do their best or maybe they don't do their best. And we're, we're left to pick up the pieces from that. And there's just this struggle to accept our own value. To not, to not believe messages that we've heard, or to not allow ourselves to be beaten down, or like Forky, to not beat yourself down. Maybe that's just one of the themes of our time. That's just one of the struggles of life in the 21st century. The struggle against loneliness and the struggle against worthlessness and feeling not important. The, the, there was a survey taken a couple of years ago, the number one desire of teenagers was to become famous. Is that interesting? That's not what it was for boomers. It was success for boomers. Now it's to become well-known, to become somebody important, to become somebody who's seen, somebody who's visible. And I just wonder, has that epidemic of our time, has that affected you? Do you feel a struggle to affirm your own value, your own worth? Have you really been thrown out like so many characters in this movie, or do you think that you're worth, worthless like Forky? So watch how each of these figures realizes their value, and that's the rest of the sermon. Watch how these figures realize their value. First of all, when Duke has his flashback and the planets fail, and Woody, uh, Woody is captured, and he has to make good on this deal. Gabby Gabby wants his voice box. And so there's this makeshift surgery by the ventriloquist dummies, and they take Woody's voice box, and Gabby Gabby honors her word, and, and, and they're going to be able to go. So Woody gives of himself as a sacrifice to pay the ransom to free Forky. If that sounds familiar, if you've been in church before, if that sounds familiar, Woody becomes a Christ figure. In this movie. He's a Christ-like figure. He gives up himself. He sacrifices himself to free Forky, to pay the ransom for Forky. In the New Testament, there is language about Jesus saying, here's my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sin, shed for you, to pay the ransom for you. And there's a big uh, theological subject called the atonement, how we're reconciled with God, but somehow Jesus does that. We'll dramatize that when we take communion here in a few minutes. But Woody becomes a Christ-like figure. And that is his purpose. He has given of himself to, to ultimately giving something physically of himself. I have a friend, Rabbi Shuli, that some of you know, who donated a kidney. Right? But he gives of himself to the point of pain. In John 15, 12, Jesus says to his disciples, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for one's time. And so what he, he puts his life on the line, and he gives of himself for the benefit of Forky. And Jesus demonstrates what love looks like when he gives himself on the cross for the benefit of humanity. And he says, for humanity, and he said, when I, when I gave myself for you, that's an example now for you to follow, that you give yourself for somebody else. And so Woody finds his purpose in a Christ-like uh, 
posture of offering himself. And the theme of Toy Story, all the movies, really is friendship. The theme song is, you've got a friend in me. And loving somebody enough to give of yourself for that person's benefit is the only thing that makes friendship possible, isn't it? If you really think about it, what is friendship? What does it take to make a relationship work? If it's a marriage, if it's if your buddies, if your coworkers, if it's your boss that you can't stand, or maybe you have a great boss. If that's if that's the case, great. Um, people in your church, people that you don't like in your church. What's the only way? How else is there to make a relationship work except for I'm willing to give something of myself? for the benefit of, the, of that other person. And in the giving of something f- of myself, there will be some measure, at least, pain. When I'm willing to give something of myself to have a friendship, a relationship, co-worker relationship, church family relationship, there will be some kind of pain in the giving of something of myself to form that friendship. Friendship is not possible any other way. Of course, the real friendship is when the other person does the same thing, right? They have the same attitude. That's how you have a healthy marriage. That's how you have a healthy friendship, healthy relationships between two people in church, is when they're both willing to give of themselves, even though that causes a little bit of pain. So if your marriage is struggling, here's the thing. When we're going through a difficult time and we feel hurt, our focus is on that person hurt me. And and that's it. But the only way that there can be any kind of hope for any relationship, period, especially one as crazy challenging as marriage, is that somebody, hopefully both, are willing to give of themselves for the benefit of the other. If they both do that, well, that's a beautiful thing. And so you might be thinking, well, I'm willing to do it, but they're not. If that's the case, you said this a few weeks ago, family systems therapy teaches us, if one person changes, everybody has to change. It may not be the change you want, but if you change, if you say, you know what, I'm gonna give of myself, I'm not talking about being abused. If that's the case, get out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the normal give and take. If I'm willing to give myself now, you know what, I'm going to be the the bigger person here, I'm going to give of myself, then everybody else in 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 the family has to change in response to that. They're confronted now with a new reality that you are empowered to choose. I'm going to give of myself now, and there will be some measure of pain. Now, if the other person reciprocates and gives back, then they're not getting a beautiful relationship. If they don't, and let's be honest, lots of times that's not how it works out. But they get back to it. A lot of times, another person doesn't. Now that's where pain comes in. When we take communion here in a few minutes, the people who are serving communion, when you pick up the bread, they're going to say, The body of Christ broken for you. And when Jesus was crucified, he was tortured to death on the cross, which is a Roman instrument of execution. It's like the electric chair or lethal injection of the Roman Empire. And his body was broken, he was whipped, he was beaten. It was, it was a bloody mess. And it illustrates for us the reality of living in a sinful fallen world. Where people don't always treat us the way that we wish. But the people don't always reciprocate when we give of ourselves. In 
there's pain. There's real pain. We're going to talk more about that next week. But when we talk about how do I love people who hate. But in the cross, we see the only way that relationships are possible. And, and we long for the value that comes from that, or the worth of that, or the affirmation that comes from that. But the cross shows the only way, which is to be willing to give of yourself. A, a thoughtful person here in the church asked me a question a few weeks ago. They texted me. They're like, hey, I've just got a question for you. You can write back if you want, or meet up, whatever you want to do. And um, they're a person who's a part of the church community here. And I think they're just kind of working through it with their own mind. And they're, they're also thinking about other people who are not a part of the church community. And their question was, to me, why do you think church is still important? Why would you start a church? Why do you want to be a pastor? Why do you think people should be a part of a church? Now, I'm biased, obviously. You would think that, yeah, I have an answer to that question, that I, and that's true. And at the same time, part of my story is, you know, I was pulled towards the trash can of workaholism, of anxiety, of believing that I had to work three jobs in, in order to pastor a church and make it work, and I burned out and ignored my family. And part of my journey is, I wasn't a pastor for two years. I was, I was out of church for two years. And I went occasionally. And I remember a couple of Easter's and just Saturdays, and I would take the boys to a church nearby, and I went occasionally. For some people, that might be kind of hard to hear. Like, okay, we're well, a pastor at the church occasionally. And I'm just being honest. Because where I was in my life, I needed a time of healing. I needed a time away. Every time I walked through, I would just kind of instantly jerk back to memories and anxieties and, and painful things. And I just needed a time away. The reason I share that is there are people who may feel the same way. You're here, obviously, right now. It may not be easy for you to be here. There are people who may listen to this podcast later, and it would be very difficult for them to imagine trying a church again because they've been hurt in a church community where they've been hurt by people who talk about Jesus a lot, who talk a lot of God talk, but you know their, their lives and their attitudes were far from it. But, so some of us have healing to go through from pain in the past from church, and our relationship with church has been broken. And we feel rejected and thrown out, like Bo and Woody, and so on. And at the same time, like through, through my own journey of a couple of years, and through other people, there comes a time where you do kind of grieve and you heal. And you get to the point where, you know, like I'm, okay, now I feel like I've, I've gone through that, and now I have a choice to make. Is this important to me or not? Is church community important to me? Do I, do I just kind of listen to podcasts and read books and kind of follow Jesus on my own and work out my faith myself, or is church community still important to me? I had that decision, and obviously Hannah and I made that decision. That's why we're here. And you have made that decision, or you're making that decision now. Maybe there are people who are listening to who haven't made that decision. And so there are people who, who get to the point where they feel now they're faced with a choice. I want to follow Jesus. But do I really want to follow Jesus with other people who want to follow Jesus? Do I want to be in a community with other people? Do I want to have friends who also want to follow Jesus? Is that important to me? And there are some people who say, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus. I like Jesus, but I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to read books. And I like Jesus, but not church. I, I, I 
Jesus, but I don't have anything to do with church. And of course there's pain there, of course there is. But at the same time, there are, hopefully there's also a period of healing where we get to the point where we're able now to make a choice. And do I really want to be a part of this or not? A few months ago, I can't remember how long it was, Rob Bell was in town in Mesa. And Hannah and I drove up to see Rob Bell. And I have a lot of respect for Rob. I got to meet him once very briefly. And what I said to him was, um, thank you. And I actually was, I kind of gave him the bro pat. And I said, I love you, man. Thank you for everything you've done. And I realized there's been a price. And at the same time, when I, when I was there at his event, I was at a big theater, there were hundreds of people there. I looked around and I wondered, of all the hundreds of people in this auditorium right now, I wonder how many people are actually in the church community. And if, for those who aren't, I'm sure all of them have experienced pain in church, from their church, I'm sure all of them have. And then I also wondered, okay, how many people have gone through some period of healing before they can make a choice. And they've either chosen to be a part of the church community or they've chosen not to. And I just wonder. Because I think there are probably lots of people who left church for legitimate reasons. They really were hurt or they just couldn't stand the fusion of religion and politics anymore. And maybe they're, they're through, getting through a healing period and now there's a choice. And they're just like, ah, I want to follow Jesus, so I'll listen to the broadcasts. I, I want to follow Jesus, so I don't like church. And for folks who might be listening to that, you don't, honestly, you don't need to hear that because you're here right now. I'm saying this for the benefit of people who may hear it later, or maybe people that you know who are kind of dealing with this, and this is where they are in life. Paul, in the New Testament, calls the church the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, we are his body. And that's a practical belief that now we are to live out you know, the message of Jesus, the mission of Jesus on planet Earth. And so for people who like Jesus, but they don't like his church, what they're doing is they're body shaming Jesus. They're saying, oh, I like Jesus, but I don't like people who want to follow Jesus. And maybe they're saying that because all they have are memories of the past. Bad theology that was harmful to them, or abusive pastors, or abusive cliques, or whatever happened. And maybe they have a legitimate grievance that they haven't really had to heal from. And I don't doubt that for one second. I felt the same thing in my own life. But for those who are now able to make the choice, to say that I like Jesus but not these people, that's a choice to live in isolation, to pull back from friendship. It's the opposite of what we see in a hero figure like Woody. It's the opposite of what we see in Jesus, who was broken because of his choice to enter into relationship with human beings. Because when you give up yourself in a church community, there's always pain. Relationships involve pain. And so I suppose there are people who can come back, and maybe now we are, maybe now we are preaching with choir. There are people who can come back and say, I'm going to give church another shot. And then they encounter that one person who's still a jerk. Who makes some offhand equipment. Maybe, maybe they're not a jerk. Maybe they don't mean it. And they just kind of get offended and they kind of feel hurt again. And it's like the last straw. I'm out of here. I'm done with church. I'm never going back to that again. But that only leads in one direction. It's towards the trash can of loneliness and isolation and living life. You know, I want to follow Jesus, but I, want, but I don't want to have anything to do with other people who do. I mean, this doesn't really make sense. The only direction for healing, for friendship, for community, for everything that brings, the only, the only choice is to give of oneself.
And there is always, always, always pain involved in the giving of oneself, the body of Christ broken for you. We're his body. Part of that is we're broken too. As we try to relate with this world just like Jesus did, we get hurt too. We get whipped. We get beaten. We get mocked. We have people make dumb comments to us. We have people judge us. We have people, I mean, whatever it is that causes hurt in the church, we're broken too. And so is he. And the only way to make the relationship work is to follow him, pick up the cross, know there's brokenness connected to that, and then move forward. You've got a friend of me. Um, somebody else, and I'm going to wrap it up here, somebody else asked me recently, you know, how do you plan a church? It's part of the same question, actually. Why are you doing this? How do you plan a church? Like, how do you do this? Like, do you have a building? Uh, no, we need an elementary school cafeteria. And, okay, so you have to, like, bring in all the equipment. And, yeah, we do. Like, all the, all the this portable church. So everything has to be set up every week. And, like, where do you live again? It wasn't, it wasn't somebody from here. Where do you, um, Phoenix, Arizona. Isn't it hot there? Yes, it is very, very hot there. And, and so I even told them, you know, lately it's been like 105 in human. And I know for those of you who aren't part of it, we have these, these carts back here, these heavy black carts, you probably still can't see them. We pull the curtain back, I don't know. One of those carts has to weigh like at least 300 pounds. It takes, 300, it takes three people to, to push it up around. And every week here, we have a team of people that is growing, and all of our ministry is growing, by the way. People volunteered and got involved. Every, all the numbers here are up and to the right. Slow progress. It's, it's amazing to watch. But we have a team of people who, before and after the service, push those carts in and out of a 24-foot race car trailer behind the building. And then after the service today, they're going to push those heavy carts back into that race car trailer. In 105 degrees during monsoon season. And sweat's going to be pouring down their faces. And I told this person, what on earth would possess a normally sane person to do that? Why would a you know, reasonably healthy, mentally healthy individual choose to push extremely heavy carts up a ramp into a trailer that's like 25 degrees hotter than the outside every week with sweat pouring down their faces and the pastor, I literally have B.O. and I'm probably not the only one, like when people show up to church, I'm going to be known as a B.O. pastor or something like that, I'm swiping sweat off and everybody else is too. Why would people do that? Here's the, here's the answer. Because they believe in community. They believe in friendship. They believe in First of all, Jesus is important, but that's not, it's not just that. Because Jesus is going to be important, you can stay home and listen to podcasts. Jesus is important, and it's also important for you to follow Jesus with other people. They want to be able to say to other people, you've got a friend of me, and I'm here for you. And we can encourage each other, we can challenge each other, we can cry together, we can learn together. And the connect groups that we're going to start here in the next two weeks, we can serve together, we can sweat together, we, we can live life together, and it always involves some measure of brokenness. Whether that means pouring sweat out, or it means forgiving somebody who makes an offhanded comment. We always have the choice to say, you've got a friend of me, and it always involves some measure of brokenness. So, as I wrap up, starting today, um, it's not just about Sunday mornings. But we also have what we call connect groups. They run for six weeks. 
And uh, in this next round of connect groups, we're studying a book by Adam Hamilton called Making Sense of the Bible. Here's the hardback version. It's also paperback. You can buy it online. Um, Amazon, Coke's Ferry, all the Barnes & Noble, all the stores. Um, and you can go online, buy the book. It's about 10 or 12 bucks for a copy, hardback, or paperback. And you can sign up starting today. There are two groups. One's on Wednesday uh, night starting September 11th. The other one starts Thursday night, September 12th. Uh, the Wednesday group is up in North Chandler. Thursday group was up in, uh, you can put that one slide back up, please. There you go. And then we've got uh, our leaders here who are going to be leading those groups. You can sign up and sign up sheets back there at the table, and that's a step towards community. It's, that's a statement that this is important to me. Community is important to me. Friendship is important to me. I don't want to live life alone. Because this is closer, honestly, than what you're going to experience on a Sunday morning. That's one of the reasons we have these connect groups. Six week rounds, so three times a year. As we come together, we're going to be looking at some of the questions that we have about the Bible, about what it means to follow Jesus. So, by the end of the movie, all the characters realize their value. Forky at least starts to get a clue of why he's alive and why he, that he's there for Bonnie. Um, Gabby Gabby has a new voice box. Duke Kaboom makes an amazing jump at the end of the movie that overcomes his bad memories of being rejected by Rijon. And then Bo and Woody decide that they're going to enter a new phase of life. That Woody has given of himself and, and, and he's been the Christ-like figure. He's done what we're talking about, but he also needs to practice self-care. And he loves Bo. And they decide that they're going to be a couple together. And so by the end of the movie, all of these characters realize their worth, whether they were discarded or whether they just believed they were. And instead of running back to the trash can, they're, not, they're all now accepting this invitation to move forward into the relationships that they're called into to live out their purpose. As we end this series, we're going to continue here today. The gospel, the good news, the good news about Jesus invites us to be redeemed, to, to stop moving in the direction of trashing and move forward towards our calling, towards our purpose. And for all of that, uh, all of us, that means to enter into community, to enter into relationships, to be willing to give of ourselves for the benefit of somebody else. And that's the only thing that makes a friendship possible, but there is pain in that. There's pain in the offering of ourselves. 